You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. And as always, I am absolutely excited about this episode because I have put a tremendous amount of research and reading and organizing for this episode. If you are a longtime listener, you have already more than likely got a notepad set aside or something in your phone to take notes. This is going to be one of those episodes. There is going to be a substantial amount of cheerleading, and there's going to be a lot of actionable information that's going to help you understand where you might be at in your addiction recovery journey and how you are understanding this idea of time in your life. If you are a new listener, this could sound uh, absolutely exactly like what you need. And I am more than likely going to (laughs) go close to an hour on this one. As much as I would like to be succinct in this moment, I really have started to notice very distinct language patterns in the people who have reached out to me to set up phone calls for the first time. Because of what I do with this show, I get a lot of y'all who have listened to the content and decided you want to reach out to me. And we have a 30-minute, or sometimes more, long conversation about where you're at. And I'm noticing very distinct language patterns that I'm going to be bringing up in this episode. And I absolutely think for those of you who are new to sobriety and recovery, that this is going to be absolutely beneficial. And why do I think that so resoundingly? Recently, I've had some pretty tough things go on within my sphere of influence. Um, Some people that I've gotten to know very well since I have moved to Huntsville um, have a member of their family who is struggling with their addiction. And as much as she has wanted to time and time again find herself on the other side of this in long-term recovery, um, mental gymnastics and just the addiction itself pulls her back in. And the family turned to me and asked me for assistance and for guidance, and we did all that we could outside of a addiction recovery center, but ultimately that's where this entire journey led her back. And one of the things that kept getting repeated by her parents and by her was, this is just a waste of time. This is all going to be a waste of time. This is just another nine months or another year of my life stuck in one of these places doing the same thing that I've always done there just to come back out and get the same results. And I can understand the frustration in a parent. I can definitely understand the frustration in somebody who actively wants to help themselves heal and then continuously goes in search of that only to find on the other side of it, a very similar life, if not one that is now quote unquote worse off because they've put in this time, they've put in this effort at an addiction recovery center, and then they come out and within a handful of months, they're back to the same old behaviors. So here's some of the things that came up in those conversations that I was having with this family before the admittance back into another rehab center occurred is that one, Why are we deeming all of this stuff as a waste of time? We're learning things as we go about ourselves, about what programs work for us, about what is inside these programs that was beneficial, what was not. There's always learning happening. Always learning happening. There's a really great 
sort of riddle that I like to say on stage when I'm speaking is that a fool and a wise man meet upon a path who learns more. Well, it's the wise man because the fool never listens. So if you're in these situations where you think this is just the same old thing that it's always been, and then you tune out, then you ultimately miss out on things that you could be learning, things that you could be experiencing, because you've already decided in your head that it's the same experience that you've already had. But that's not possible, because no two same experiences are ever the same. No human being can ever stand in the same river twice, because even if it's the next day, they are a different human, and the river is a different water. There's different pebbles, there's different rocks. Even if you attempted to stand in the same space, the water would have shifted, the water would have moved things on the bed of the river, and of course the water's different because water doesn't travel backwards, and it definitely, if you're in a moving river, doesn't stay stagnant. Now, you could ask yourself, am I in a stagnant river? Well, in that case, you're more or less in a pond. (laughs) But when we really dive into what we experience as we go through our addiction, then into sobriety, and then into recovery, is that there is a ton of things to learn about ourselves. That is a nonstop learning process. If you're willing to step into the level of self-awareness that is okay with seeing your shadow self, the darker side of you, the shame and the guilt and the remorse and the resentment and the hatred and the sadness and the depression, these are things that we have often been very comfortable, we're uncomfortably comfortable, let me make sure I I state this correctly, at least in my subjective perspective, we are uncomfortably comfortable hiding these things in the shadows. We don't really want them there, but we become comfortable enough knowing that they're just in the closet. And if we just close the door and keep using, they'll just stay in the closet. So we are uncomfortably comfortable. We want some shifts. We want the change. We want the growth. We don't really want to hold animosity towards a long lost parent or a long lost sibling or somebody who has passed away. Like we don't really want to be holding on to this stuff. Consciously, we might think we want to be because we holding on to that somehow gives us some sort of gratification. But unconsciously, we understand in those deep, dark levels that this stuff is not serving us, that holding on to any negative emotion around an event that was trauma in the moment and has turned into deeper levels of trauma further on, we know we want to let that stuff go. Because we know what it feels like to have a conversation with someone and have some level of forgiveness or have some level of understanding, come to some level of conclusion and say, okay, let's hug it out. Let's shake hands. Let's high five, whatever that might be. And then we can walk away. It's like, wow, okay, that's that's some weight I just lifted. So let's go back to the original one. This is a waste of time. Well, it's only a waste of time if you see it as a waste of time if you do the same things that you've always done. So when we say things are a waste of time, we're actually catching ourselves in a position where we're telling ourselves at a very conscious level and even informing the unconscious mind, like, hey, this isn't really going to do anything, so we can just go ahead and tune out. The unfortunate thing about that is is that there's always something to learn. So deciding that something is a waste of time is already putting yourself behind the metaphorical eight ball. Right, Not the eight ball of cocaine, but the eight ball in the billiards game where we're like, okay, maybe this isn't a waste of time. What could I do different? And so that's, that leads us into another powerful point that I had. It's like with this family is that what can we all be doing differently this time? 
what did we do last time that we can look back on with some level of self-awareness and mindfulness and say, this was not the way it should have gone. Let's see if we can correct it a little bit better this time. Because if we do things the same way, we're going to get similar results. It's Einstein supposedly came up with the definition of insanity being doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. I'm pretty sure that's been debunked that he never actually said that, but why not attribute it to Einstein? He's a pretty smart fellow. Either way, doing something the same way over and over and over again and expecting a different result, you're probably not going to have a ton of success with that. Even one little tiny shift of the hammer left or right could be the difference between just skipping off the head of the nail and actually hitting it dead center. So even the most fractional shift can have amazing changes if we're just willing to stop being so stubborn about what we preconceive as the outcome that will be and instead start to daydream about a better outcome. We're all very good at daydreaming. We spend a tremendous amount of time talking to ourselves and then going off in Never Never Land and just making up scenarios. Some are good, some are bad, but we're very good at daydreaming. So why are we spending such a tremendous amount of time daydreaming the negative when we could be daydreaming the positive? So those are a couple things. You know, why did we decide that it was a waste of time and how could we shift and change now? And then there was another point that got brought up because of the way that this program works for her. She is not going to be able to pretty much leave the facility for the first two months. And then after the first two months are done, there's an opportunity to, well, it's mandatory to go out and get a job and start, you know, becoming a quote unquote, you know, responsible member of society. And the family was like, great. So here we go. Another two months of not working, another two months of not being able to save, another two months of finding herself behind the eight ball and her bills and her debt and all this other stuff. And that was the very similar story that she was also telling herself. But then I'm very quick to say, let's look back at these last six months. How much actual work was she getting done out here in the quote unquote real world? How many jobs had she floated herself through? How many times had she called out hungover and sick and been fired from a job or then had to go find another job? And then that took another three weeks for that job to start up. So we're concerned about two months not being able to get a job. While in those two months, there are classes eight hours a day, there's structure being supported, there's counseling, there's therapy, there's psychologists, there's a whole team of people working with her to help her overcome all of this you know, emotional trauma and all of this guilt and all these things going on inside of her. And the other side of that is just stay in your house keep bouncing around from job to job, what exactly do you think is going to be accomplished in her life in these next two months that she's, quote unquote, I keep saying quote unquote, because I'm not trying to label this out as a definitive, but these are all sort of hypothetical situations that could come up. So I'll say quote unquote to at least accentuate the fact that right now all this is all hyperbole. This is all just made up freaking manifestations in the brain of what could happen, but we don't know what will happen until we actually do something. We have to do things to find out how things play out. So could just keep doing the same thing that you have always done within this family unit, tolerating the addictive behavior, coming home intoxicated, having driven the car intoxicated to get home, to call out of work. So we could just do this for another two months or longer or go somewhere, 
start getting the help that she needs. Let's all start doing things differently than we had done before. And then when the two months are done, then it's mandatory. She will go off. She will get a job and she'll be able to start saving. The center is a very affordable price, would be no different than if she, in fact, cheaper than if she was to go off and get her own apartment. So now we're in, a, we're in this amazing you know, paradox where stay in this one area, in the home, with the family, do what you've always done, and probably have no actual substantial gains in life in the next two months. Go somewhere, have substantial changes in life in the next two months just by being involved in these classes and being involved in this program. And then on day 61, you get to go off and you get to get a job. So you find yourself right where you would be if the person was working regularly now, they just get to be there in two months. But now it's mandatory. It's part of the program. It's part of the situation. So for me, if we were even going to label any of the time as wasted, and I will not label any time as wasted, but if we were to, it would be those two months not being able to work. If the wasted time is being labeled as not being able to have a job, making money and paying off bills and saving up for her own place, then perhaps, perhaps in that regard, someone could label it as wasted because there is no job and there is no money coming in. But the changes that will occur over the next two months are going to be phenomenal. And then on the other side of that is the opportunity to have a job and actually stick with it rather than being somebody who bounces around from job to job and just keeps getting these menial gigs that don't pay a whole lot, knowing that if she gets fired, she can just go to the one next door. So to me, it sounds like at most, if again, we were going to label anything as a waste, it would just be those first two months. And then it's right back out into the job force. But this time it's with somebody who's overseeing the entire process and making sure that the job is handled in an adult professional manner. And so these were some really important topics that kept coming up with this family. And then I started to notice that the people I was talking to were you, actual listeners who go to callcoachjesse.com and set up a 30-minute session with me. And we have a quick conversation about what's going on in your addiction recovery journey. Or you can go to jessemogul.com slash ask me and fill out a form there too. Either way, I've provided two very simple ways to reach out to me. And what I'm noticing, and I'm, my brain is very adept at noticing patterns very adept. So when a pattern is broken, I'm even more aware of that. Like I am super aware of patterns. Recently, Google did some sort of security change. Um, and so now I have to re-log into all of my email addresses and it's happening consistently. And the old pattern was just go to the link and it's already open and ready for me to go. And it's worked that way for a long time. So all of a sudden this morning when I go to log into things and it's not working in the same pattern I've already programmed myself to follow, I immediately notice that. And then I start noticing where the pattern has also been broken around other things. So this security update was pretty intense because it's changed a lot of my patterns around how I open up certain websites. So my brain immediately is like, okay, something massive has changed because this pattern is now starting to show on lots of different websites that I wouldn't think would have anything in common. But they all do. They all run on the Chrome platform. They are all owned or operated or have some sort of subsidiary connection with Google. So therefore, the entire thing changed. And so it was very easy for me to say, okay, where did this go? Let's search the Googles. Let's find out why this happened. And then let's go ahead and just, just re-log into everything. But my brain is very good at noticing patterns. 
So I start to be able to connect language patterns y'all are using around me with one another, and I start to see the connections to them. And there's a lot of this conversation around waste of time. And so that's why we, at least in the middle of this show, I'm going to assume that I will title this, um, is it a waste of time or a wasted life? Because it's very interesting to me how often I will talk with people who will have spent years, like I did, years, drinking themselves under the table, doing drugs, wasting all of this time, just being high. And then as soon as sobriety steps in, all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's no time to be working on this. I'm like, okay, interesting. Because you had all the time in the world to be intoxicated. You had all the time in the world to be drunk and high and spend all your money on that. But now you're sober and now all of a sudden you don't have the money to get a gym membership and you don't have the time to, you know, buy healthier foods and and figure out ways of cooking so that you're not eating fast food all the time. But you had eight hours a day to be wasted and you had all the money you needed for that. But now here we are in sobriety and recovery and it's asking for you to shift your resources towards this and all of a sudden you look around like, well, I just don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the energy. Well, you had all the energy and the time and the money to be wasted. So if you found it for that, you can find it for this. And I love this one scene out of The Family Guy. And back in the day, I used to watch The Family Guy a lot. And there's this one episode. And if you go on YouTube and you type in um, Stewie Beats Up Brian, um, if you've never watched Family Guy, Stewie's this little kid and Brian's the talking dog. And if you t- if you go on YouTube and type in Stewie Beats Up Brian, for, in this episode, Brian the dog decides that he wants to place a bet with Stewie that Mike Tyson will beat up an old grandma. I'm not really sure why they brought that as the bet, but that's what they did. And so it was a $50 bet. Brian places with Stewie. Mike Tyson will definitely beat up Grandma. Well, Grandma wins and beats up Mike Tyson. And now Brian owes Stewie $50 and doesn't want to pay up. And, of course, it's Family Guy, so mayhem ensues. And in one of the scenes, Brian's walking around uh, wearing a mustache, trying to hide from Stewie. And so Stewie starts to beat him up. And he's like, how much does that mustache cost? And he's like, two ninety nine. He's like, oh, you've got money for mustaches. You've got money for fake mustaches, but you don't have the money to pay me back. And when I hear that line, I very easily create a bridge over to... I've got money for booze, I've got money for drugs, I've got money for all this other stuff, but I don't have money to help myself heal, to get a therapist, to buy an Audible book, to get a journal, to get a gym membership. It was very interesting to me how I could find money for all of that, but yet when it came time for my sobriety and recovery, where was the money for it? And so if you find yourself in that kind of situation, we're going to be discussing this pretty in depth today as clearly... I'm already at 20 minutes, but I really enjoyed opening up with that story because that might be a story about the family that sounds very familiar to you. It's only a waste of time if we deem it so. If we do the same things that we did, if we tune out and say, you know what, this is the same old crap that it's always been, and this isn't actually beneficial, and I don't even know why I'm bothering. Well, then congratulations, you're going to get very little out of it. 
I have literally had people come to me with relationship issues and been like, you know, I learned so much from them. I feel so much more like a complete human. And I, you know, that was really beneficial, but now it's time to move forward into a different direction. And when I've met with the other partner, you know, they've said, I learned nothing, nothing good came of that. What a waste of my time. And to me, it's just very interesting because there's always something to learn from somebody if you're paying attention. And if you choose not to pay attention, then you are missing out on the lessons. And that's what we're going to discuss today, is how can we go from this paradox where is this a waste of time or are we just wasting our life? Because that's what alcohol and drugs did. It wasted away our life. It took so much from us. And now we get to take it back. But when we look back on all of the history that we, of the time that we spent being wasted, If we only see that as a waste of time, then we're missing out on the lessons. I've discussed this in previous episodes, that there are talents and there are skills that came from being an addict. We figured out ways to always be able to afford our drugs. We figured out very uh, creative ways to get drugs into our system. We were very resilient when it came to not having drugs and getting more drugs. We were very resourceful when it came to inviting other people to do drugs so that we could all pool our money and get more drugs. Like We had a lot of tools that are very useful in sobriety and recovery. We just need to simply see them as talents and skills that we built, and unfortunately around something that was negative for our lives. And now we just simply move those talents and skills towards the positive. Because there are positives that we can take from our years of addiction, and we can now move those into our future years of sobriety and recovery. So I've got some really powerful points here, and I want to make sure that I you know, rock and sock and robot and bring them all home. And so this whole, let's start with this whole paradox of time, because that's right? Active addiction and recovery and sobriety and recovery. There is this idea that we don't have enough time. I don't believe that we manage our time. I believe that we create our time. There is somewhere in your day you have spent an hour on social media that you could be spending somewhere else. There's somewhere else in your day that you have done something that you could look back on and say, probably not the best use of my time. How can I shift that to a more appropriate use of my time? Because we have this, if you're taking notes, then this could be a good bullet point here, the illusion of having time during addiction. Let's reflect back on the hours, the days, even the years that we lost to being high or drunk. But it's not lost if we're willing to sit down and ask ourselves, what are some of the skills that I created for myself around my addiction? Again, being able to funnel money towards that and still, you know, in many cases, pay our bills on time. I mean, for most of us, we were keeping a roof over our heads. We were keeping a stable job. That's what allowed us to be an addict for so many years. So what are some of the talents and the skills that you created? Because we can look back on those hours, days, and years as being lost and being a waste of time. But I created some really amazing friendships that are still in my life today. We are all now 20, 30 years older, and we've all grown and adapted and changed to the circumstances of our own lives. So I choose to see the powerful ways in which addiction brought me to where I am today. Did I know that it was going to turn into being an author and a speaker and a podcaster and, you know, an addiction recovery coach and a certified recovery support specialist. And in a million years, if you'd have told 37-year-old Jesse that 47-year-old Jesse was starting up his master's degree to become a therapist, he would have laughed and scoffed at you while snorting cocaine in front of you. I would never have believed it. So how are you reflecting on those hours, days, and years? 
that you quote unquote lost to being high or drunk? And can you find some positives that came out of that? Resiliency, resourcefulness, um, fortitude, you know, discipline. There are things that came out of that and we can shift those to the more beneficial side of sobriety and recovery. Because addiction can warp our perception of time. We've got all these blurry moments. The days blend in. Our priorities shift. This is why I say utilize your sobriety and recovery to take back the hobbies and the skills and the talents and the things that you loved that you so willingly gave to addiction. You may not have this actual moment where you were just handing over your guitar to addiction or you were handing over the harmonica or you were handing over the gym or you were handing over painting or, you know, yoga. You don't have this ceremony where you're handing over your favorite hobbies to addiction. But when you chose to get high instead of going to the amusement park with a friend or instead of going to the gym or instead of going out and doing something that you really enjoy, this was the beginning stages of you handing over the things that you love to addiction. I mean, it was a choice point, whether you realize it or not. You were still choosing. It may have felt like the choice was already made for you by the addiction, but it was still a choice nonetheless. So we have this warped sense of time, these moments that are blurry, the days that they blended, the shifting of the priorities. And now we're sober. So now moments don't blur the way they used to. Days don't blend, right? We are able to hold on to a priority each and every day. Now, I still may not be able to remember what the hell happened on Sunday, but if I were to stop long enough, I could be able to say, oh, okay, this is what I did on Sunday. You know, this is what I did on Monday. If nothing else, I could look at my Google calendar where I keep all that stuff organized. But okay, I was doing these things. Back in the day when I was wasted, I literally like a whole week would just go away and I wouldn't even try to think back to what I had been doing because I already knew that it was just me in a blur and a haze of addiction. Because we didn't have any more or less time during our addiction than we have right now. When I look back at my time in Hollywood, we had a front porch right off Cahuenga, this little house uh, you know, stuck in just around chaos and mayhem. For years that I was there, there was uh, a homeless village that had started up on the sidewalk across the street. And it would be there for a year, and then it would, you know, they'd bring out the, the earth movers, and they would literally take these, like, like, I don't even know. It's like a bulldozer. That would be the term for it. Thank you, Jesse's brain. And it would be, I mean, literally they would drive this bulldozer onto the sidewalk. And while these homeless people were screaming and crying, they would bulldoze their tents. They would bulldoze all their belongings and just put them into this dump truck following behind on the side, on the road. And it was about the most heartbreaking thing that you could ever witness in your entire life. And I must've seen this countless of times. Just, I mean, just sheer heartbreak because if somebody's already on the streets and then you take away their tents and you take away their belongings and they were given notice and a lot of them would do their best to move things away. But at some point you'd be amazed how much belongings a homeless person will actually um, begin to acquire. And at some point they just could no longer move it. They couldn't get it somewhere safe. And I mean, we're talking 10 dump trucks following this bulldozer as they just destroyed people's lives even more than their lives were already in, you know, in chaos. And I would sit there on this front porch, not just watching that, but just watching the world go by. And I'd do it with a, you know, bottle of vodka, something in a, in a pack of smokes. And I'd just sit there and I'd listen to music or I'd watch YouTube. 
but I would do that for hours. I'd get home from work, you know, around noon, one o'clock, and I would just sit there until the sun went down, and I'd just get wasted. People would come in through the gate. Some would stop. Sometimes they'd want to drink, and we'd uh, you know, turn it into a party. But I would, that was this there day in, day out. So when I got sober, all of a sudden I was like, okay, not going to just sit on the front porch for eight hours a day staring at the sun and waiting for it to go down, you know, so I could try to eat some food and sober up enough to be in bed at a decent hour to not wake up completely hungover at 530 to go back to work. And so I had this perception that, oh, I have all this time. I get off of work at one. I don't really need to be in bed till about midnight, maybe 11 if I'm lucky. And under the influence, I just assumed I had all this time. It didn't even bother me that I was wasting time. It didn't bother me that I wasn't going to improv anymore, or doing stand-up anymore. You know, people would call me up, hey, you want to come do this red carpet interview? Or, hey, can you come cover this one story for us? No, man, I've already got a lot of things going on. You know, maybe the next time, make sure you reach out to me. And all I was doing was just sitting there, just getting blasted out, wasted. So then all of a sudden I get sober, and therefore there's no longer going to be the front porch. What can I now do with those eight hours? And I became very attuned to focusing on how I was going to spend the time from when I got off of work till the sun went down because it was in those hours I did my heaviest drinking. So now what was I going to do to shift it? So where in your life, once you get sober, can you look back at, oh, I used to do this and I used to do that. And that's when I was doing my heaviest drinking. Where can I begin to shift my behaviors? What can I do now? In those times, I sure as hell couldn't sit on the front porch. Too much of a trigger, too many anchors. I didn't want to sit in my room while the sun was shining and I had the blackout curtains up. So next thing you know, blackout curtains come off the windows. You know, I put the stand-up desk in my room. I started going to the gym as soon as I got home from work. And if I felt, you know, compelled to start to crave, then I would just go back up to the gym and literally just sit in, like I'd sit on an exercise bike for two hours at a time, just casually strolling along with my legs and watching YouTube. But at least I wasn't in my room where I used to do all my heavy drinking. So we have this illusion that we had all the time to be an addiction, but where are we not seeing all the time that we now have for our sobriety and recovery? And now focusing our attention on building structure around that time that we used to be wasted. Because I'm telling you, it's absolutely fantastic. You have these differences that are going to occur, right? We This whole show is called From Sobriety to Recovery because the difference of between sobriety of not using and recovery of healing and growing are starkly different. Not using is great, but healing and growing is where we want to find ourselves at. And there can be societal pressures, this constant push for productivity and, and accomplishment. I call it toxic productivity, where we have to feel like we're always doing something. We got to be constantly pushing ourselves. And in the first, you know, handful of episodes, I I did talk a lot about, I push myself. I can be exhausted and be like, no, I want to get these things done. I've committed to these things. During COVID, only one weekend did my girlfriend and I sit there on the couch and binge watch a TV show. And that was The Handmaid's Tale. When everybody else was freaking out about Tiger King, I watched the, the pilot episode and I was like, yeah, they're from Oklahoma. These people remind me of my relatives. I don't need to watch this anymore. I would get up at a decent hour every morning and I would sit in front of my computer and I would start to create and I would start to formulate ways that I could grow my business, that I could help other people in addiction. And the pitfalls of this perceived stagnation in recovery where people say, well, what have you done today? What have you done today? Obviously not using today is a great start, but it doesn't have to be these monumental changes each and every day. It can just be one degree to the left or the right, 
right? It's the, it's again, back to the nail. It's between skimming off the head of the nail and hitting it point blank. A one degree shift and you start stacking up one degree shifts, you are very, very, very far from where you are today a year from now. I certainly can look back at my time in COVID and be like, man, I should have launched more Zooms. I should have launched the From Sobriety to Recovery, you know, meetings and and had people who were in addiction recovery coming to those because everybody was turning to Zoom meetings for their online recovery. I certainly could have been putting a little bit more attention to that detail. Yeah, I can look back and I can absolutely see where I did not follow through with some things that I can now see as would have been very beneficial to not just other people, but to my own recovery, to my own growth in my business. But I didn't do those things. I did put a lot of effort into building up um, the online academy that I currently run, uh, put a lot of thought into building up different various programs. Um, I wrote my very first book. It was all about the... um, it was called Life's Blueprint, where I basically went off and explained the spheres, career, self-relationship, and then the pillars, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and how these these three spheres and these four pillars interacted to help me grow my sobriety and recovery forward. It was monumental, the way I structured it. And I wrote a book about that. And I went and spoke on Zoom hundreds of times. I mean, it was great. But I look back, and of course, I could see where I could have done more. I could have done it differently. But it's in that mindset where I knew I was doing something and whether it was the perfect thing or not, at least to me, it was something. I don't want to have a mindset that can hinder my progress and all of a sudden bring out these levels of dangers. We're like, well, is this the perfect thing I could be doing right now for my sobriety and recovery? Because to me, battling addiction and moving through that, I mean, it's a tough process. So when I got into those first month, two, three, going to the gym and reading helpful books and having conversations with sober people, that to me was growth, making friends at my meetings and and, going on hikes with them. Anything that was different than previous behavior to me was now moving me forward on my addiction recovery journey. So if I looked at the sphere of relationships and then I saw physical and I was like, okay, let's go meet some people from a meeting and let's go hike up this, this mountain and let's stand at the top of it and just be marveled at the fact that we did this sober because I used to do a lot of hikes drunk. And it's like, awesome. That is something I normally wouldn't have done. So that to me was moving it forward. It doesn't have to be this huge, oh my goodness, I'll never forget this moment. It's actual little moments that's so easily to forget that create the momentum that we desire. So we want to have that mindset of what is wasting time. Societal pressures will tell you, well, if you're not doing this, that, or the other, you're wasting time. Or if you're being stagnant, if you're dry drunk, if you're not working on yourself each and every day and reading five books and meditating for four hours and doing 16 hours of yoga, you know, and are you breathing and are you eating and are you writing and are you thinking and are you loving and are you believing? Are you staring at the moon and howling at it? No, then you're failing in your recovery. Whatever society tries to tell you is right, wrong, whatever, that is their own subjective perspective. I want you to be aware of what yours is. And if you're like, well, this is just the same old thing that I've always done, then maybe there's some room in there to shift it. Because it's about that mindset. Do you feel like it's moving you forward? Right now, we also have the, the empowerment of experiencing lessons. Perspective shift. I want you to view 
each moment as an opportunity for growth. Even if that's just taking a walk on your from sobriety to recovery trail or going and hiking with your husband and the kids to see a waterfall or, you know, getting in the truck and driving, you know, 18,000 miles in, in a month and listening to podcasts and, you know, touching base with other people who are supporting your sobriety and recovery journey. Each moment is an opportunity for growth. Going back to the family we discussed at the beginning when they see things as a waste of time, then that's exactly how their confirmation bias is going to interpret it for them. Oh, this is a waste of time. Well, then your confirmation bias is going to be looking for ways that it's a waste of time. If you choose to see it as, as a different course of action, then you will experience it as a different course of action. We have this thing in our minds called the reticular activated system, right? It's this system that starts to look for patterns. If all of a sudden, like for me, when I bought my Hyundai Santa Fe, now I see a Hyundai Santa Fe everywhere I go. I cannot miss them. I used to own a Dachshund when I was a kid. I see Dachshunds everywhere. If you decided that you wanted a Malamut or you wanted a, a Washington Husky, one of those Husky dogs, you'd start seeing them everywhere. They were always there, but now you're more aware of them because your brain is thinking about them. It's that reticular activated system. If your brain is aware of something, it will look for it. If you're looking for the ways that a program is different, if you're looking for ways that your life is different, then that's what you'll see. If you're looking for ways that everything is the same, that's what you'll see. Your mind doesn't want you to be wrong. It's got an ego that can't stand being wrong. And so it will feed you a confirmation bias. It will say, yep, yep, yep. See how many ways you're still being the same way you were. But if you choose to see the differences in yourself and how you're growing, then that's what you'll see. And it's going to take some practice. It's going to take effort. This doesn't happen overnight. You didn't get into this situation overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. But each and every day is an opportunity for growth. Like There are real world examples of lessons that you can learn in the seemingly mundane uh, and even the very unmundane challenging moments. You know, going through the process of helping a family get their loved one into recovery is something that, you know, to me, that's it, a very challenging moment in a family, the hugs and the kisses and the tears and going back in and, and having that person have to humble themselves to another program. Like I remember what it was like to feel humbled by my addiction waking up in that shit tub and deciding, okay, that's it. So I can remember those moments as real world examples of the lessons that I learned. And now I can bring those into my coaching. I can bring those into my support system. And I'm very adept at not bringing other people's emotions along with me for the rest of my life ride. All right, I can get off of a very, very touching conversation with someone and their life is their life. I don't carry around their emotions. Um, some people call themselves empaths and that means absorbing other people's emotions. In a call, I can very much be attuned with somebody else's emotions. I can step into their perceptual positioning, into their experience. But when the call is done, I'm able to say, okay, that was that person. What's going on in my life? I've got a little ritual I do after all of my calls. It lasts about five, 10 minutes. It involves some music. It involves some physical activity. And then it's like I can just I break it off. And now that is what that was. Now what's going on in my life? And sometimes our lives can feel very mundane, very monotonous. It's the same shifting of the gears of the truck. It's the same clocking in, clocking out of the job. But there are lessons to be learned in there. It can be of the discipline of following through with what you commit to. It can be of the flexibility you have when things don't go the way that you would have preferred them to, 
All right, we all have this idea that we're trying to go straight towards addiction recovery, and there are a lot of detours. But as long as you have a general sense of your North Star, you can keep moving yourself forward, even if it is a very long and winding road. The long and winding road leads us back. Uh, forget the rest of the words. God, I was almost there. I really feel like that next line would have been the part that would have changed everything. <laughs> And I also want you to understand the importance of mindfulness and presence in your recovery process. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday um, on one of the uh, callcoachjesse.com calls. They set up a call with me and we got on the phone and it was like, you know, where your body at isn't always where your mind is at. So the importance of mindfulness and presence in your recovery process is extremely important because your body can be anywhere, but your mind can also be everywhere. How many times have you been at work or you've been in your car and your body is driving the car or your body is going through the motions at work, but your mind is off in Never Neverland. Your mind is off doing its own thing, creating up stories, daydreaming, having, uh, um, having daymares, which is the opposite of a nightmare because it happens while there's sun out, um, <laughs> right? Your mind can be anywhere. Your body is where it is, but your mind can be everywhere. So we have to understand the importance of mindfulness and presence. If you're going for a walk, are you noticing the butterfly landing on the flower and, you know, getting some of that succulent nectar to, you know, help uh, feed itself? And it's also stepping on the flower, which is taking some of that pollen and it's moving to the next flower. And that's going to cause a different, more beautiful flower next spring. Like be where you're at. And when you find your mind all over the place, bring it back. This is sort of the heart of meditation. But one of my really good instructors, she's been on the show, uh, Danny C. Muniz. She's the one who did astrology, you know, some episodes back. She can, she got me to understand that even walking is meditation, that I can be walking and meditating at the same time, that it's not always about actually sitting in a chair and just being still, that it actually can have a lot to do with moving myself around. And in those moments, I can be having my mind focus on one thought and not allowing it to bounce around from other thoughts. We can experience meditation in our way. But either way, I want you to be mindful and I want you to realize that there is a presence that you can have each and every moment of your life. We're not going to be great at this. We're going to go off into daydream land. It happens to me quite frequently and I reel myself back in. I change the music I'm listening to. I shift my physical body. I stand up. I do some push-ups. Something to break my brain out of this little making up of stories in my head because we can spend a lot of time living in our brains, living in our minds, and not a lot of time being in our body. And that's what we're seeking to do because it's in the brain where things can just take us down wicked, wicked paths. And there's a very good chance that you spend a lot of your addiction just living in your head. And so where is your mind versus where is your body? Because if you're doing something with your family to create an experience to be connected with them, or you're doing something with your loved one or your partner, or you're at your job and you hate it because it's so monotonous and mundane, be present in that moment. Find the cool little thing that makes it powerful today. And then just see what, worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, right? Future pacing so far off into the future. Well, what if I don't like this job in a year? You may not, but you like it today. And you're more than likely going to like it still tomorrow. And the decision to stop liking a job or liking an activity starts with those little chinks in the armor, those little cracks, right? Think of Shawshank Redemption when Andy got that little tiny um, hammer that he was supposed to be carving, you know, little statues out of rocks with. And over the course of 15 years, he dug himself a freaking hole, you know, that allowed him out of the prison. 
it's those little tiny chink, 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 chink with the hammer that can start to actually wear away at the things that you're enjoying. So stop yourself each and every day from seeing some sort of negative around this activity and see the positive in it. Because it's like with relapse. Relapse doesn't, relapse starts well before you take that next drink. Even lapse starts well before you take the next drink, you smoke the next joint, you eat the next kratom, you do whatever it is you're doing. It starts well before that. It's those little chink, 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 little tap, tap, tap with the hammer. So stop yourself each and every day and say, no, what is it something I can find in this moment right now that is creating a lesson or that is majestic or that is amazing about what it is I'm doing? How can I see how this job is playing a humongous role and how society stays in one piece? I don't know. Even a, even somebody who is just a customer service rep for T-Mobile still plays a tremendous role because my phone is very important to me. And when I'm having an issue with it, I want to be able to call somebody who's got an answer who will be kind and generous with their time, answer all of my questions so I know what I'm doing, that I could be doing even more amazingly, and then I can move forward knowing my phone works again. Everybody's job plays a role in society. Are you noticing where yours is? Are you noticing where what you do in your family is helping that person go off and be amazing out in public because of the support you're offering them at home? Everything can be seen as amazing, even whenever it feels mundane and it's not. And then there's this addiction, double-edged sword of wasted life versus wisdom gain, right? There's a haze of addiction, this fog that comes from that, right? Then there's also this whole idea. It's like, okay, I wasted this day. Now what about my life? I'm sober. I want to be able to make amends for all of the wasted time. Well, you cannot go back and make up for the years in addiction. Again, as I've already covered, you can go back and you can find the talents, the skills, the hobbies that came from your addiction and to just move them over to your sobriety and recovery, you can see the powerful lessons that you've learned and nothing was ever a waste of time. A wasted life, that's not what I'm going to tolerate from myself anymore. I should be paralyzed six times over. At minimum, I should be a, 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 in a wheelchair and not have the use of my legs. At most, I should be a quadriplegic blowing into a straw to move my wheelchair. And I'm not even saying that flippantly. I have gone through a couple different windshields. I've bounced my head off the bottom of a pool. I got slammed to the bottom of the ocean boogie board one time, and that was sober uh, in my sobriety and recovery journey even. All the other major head traumas happened during my addiction time. Like, I should be in a wheelchair. I absolutely know this. I've had doctors tell me, like, man, if your head would have gone a different degree, left, right, front, back, you would absolutely not have the use of your legs right now. So the universe or God or whatever that, whatever this energy is that it's all around me is kept me walking and talking and living this relatively, quote unquote, normal life for a reason. I will not waste this opportunity under any circumstances. Not every single moment of my life needs to feel like I am changing the world, but by goodness gracious, I am not going to sit here and, and have this seventh chance at life just fall to the wayside. Wasted life, no more. You have to make that decision. It has to become a fire inside of your belly that you do not fucking let anything extinguish. I was 200 pounds back in May, trying to put on a bunch of muscle over the winter. It did not go as planned. It just turned out to be a sugar fest the entire winter. Now I'm down 30 pounds. It's been exhausting, and it's been trying, and it's pushed me in in ways I did not expect it to push me, because this is the third, maybe fourth time that I have lost up to 30 pounds before. When I first got sober, I was 233 pounds. I finished at 173 that time. took me a year and a half 
to release those 60 pounds. This time it's going to take me way less. If you guys have been following me for a while, you remember I was at 193 the year I was getting ready to turn 45, and I finished at 159 on my on my 45th birthday. I just wanted to see if I could get back down to the weight that I was when I was in high school, and I did. And it was exhausting and trying, and I won't do that again, but certainly this time I had to do it differently. I'm going to have to shed all this weight and figure out a different way. But to me, it's like I love having something with my physical body that I'm that I'm working on. It's important to me that I have this idea that I'm, I'm there's a working on myself. This I'm no longer wasting my life away. I've done that. So where I was going with this is it's that fire that can't be extinguished. Whenever I see some ice cream and I really want it, I'm like, no, you are on a path. You are on a mission. You told yourself by October 3rd, when you were 173 pounds last year on October 3rd, this October 3rd, you would be down to 169 and you could stop releasing weight and you could figure out what you didn't do as well last time and you can shift your nutrition strategy to start putting on muscle this winter and do it differently. I set that goal and I'm not going to allow anything, let alone my own mind, deter me from achieving this. On top of all the other things that I have set, this is one of those. I will weigh all my food. I will monitor everything that goes in in my belly. I will not allow my own self to knock me off this because the rest of the world is going to do whatever the rest of the world does. Wendy's did not purposely put that commercial on during the football game to make me break my nutrition strategy, to make me go off and eat their Frosty because it's buy one, get one free. They're just advertising their business like any other business would. I have to make the choice on whether I go off and buy the Frosty simply because they told me that I can buy one, get one free. I would certainly love to have buy one, get one free Frosties, and I can't wait till October 3rd to enjoy that. But for today, I'm following my plan. Because my plan is my ambitions. And no one else is going to care about my ambitions as much as I will. This recovery is so much more than just breaking free from substances. It's breaking free from detrimental mindsets. When you make a commitment to yourself and you follow through with it, you are able to achieve things beyond your wildest dreams. But when you make a commitment and you don't follow through, you show yourself that there's this little part of you that's not willing to step up. And it's okay if in that moment you didn't step up the way you would have preferred. Now it's just reset. Okay, I learned this. It happened this way. What was some good? What was some not so good? Great. Let's do it again. I tried over 20 times in my life to get sober. And and I come across some of y'all who are actively ebb and flowing. Uh, you'll get 14 days or 23 days and then it's back in for a day or two and then it's back into sobriety for three or four weeks. But it's like, I wasn't trying any of that. It is a, I am astonished by some of y'all's fortitude. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I love being a part of it. See it for the beautiful journey that it is. And I know it can be tough looking in the mirror and being like, there you go again, or having to lie to our family members, you know, and that's a bummer too, that the family members can't be more involved with the ebb and the flow. But I can also get where other people and their emotions don't want to be involved in the ebb and flow anymore. But you know what you can be doing. And you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, today, today let's find the power in today. And let's be present in today. And let's work on ourselves today. Because you can be proactive and do things, or you can be passive. You can just be thinking about acting, or you can be acting. Thinking about acting, yeah, I can see why for years some people would think that's a waste of time. But if you're coming up with plans now with this new mindset of proactivity, of let's do something, let's take action. There's a reason why it's principle number four in my book. 
college success habits. Go on Amazon. Go on Barnes & Noble. Go on Walmart. You can find it in my seven powerful principles anywhere. Read the book and then just take all the college references and just shift them over to your own experiences of addiction. Hell, I talk about my addiction in there. But these seven powerful principles will absolutely work just as well for people in college who are potentially becoming addicts today for those of us who have been addicts for years. This paralysis by analysis, right, where we just keep thinking about something, take a step. Even the smallest step is a step forward. Driving past the gas station that you used to stop at to get your drugs or your booze and just going straight. Changing the direction in which you go to work so that you don't drive by that same place. Even those tiny little things make a massive difference to your brain. Because when your brain sees the gas station or the liquor store or your drug dealer's house, it's like, hey, I know what's in there. Come on, let's stop, let's stop. Do it over and over and over again, and eventually your brain's going to catch you in a weak moment. You're upset, you're angry, you're sad, you're hurt, you're depressed, and it's going to be like, you know what? Next thing you know, you're right back where you were, lapsing, maybe even relapsing if you go even deeper in. I want you to celebrate your victories. I want you to realize that every single day, every single moment in recovery is a testament to your strength and your resiliency. These are amazing things. And these are some of the most powerful things that just don't get covered enough when we start talking about sobriety and recovery, when we start talking about this paradox of time, right? This illusion of having time during addiction, right? We, we can, or no, I don't have time for meetings. I don't have time for therapy. I don't have time for self-care. But you had all this time in the world to go out and buy fake mustaches and try to elude Stewie. Just spend that time differently. When you say, I don't have the time, well, you used to have all the time to be wasted. Oh, yeah, but Jesse, that was from, you know, from 9 p.m. to 3 in the morning because I could just be at a bar and, you know, now I want to go hiking and hiking can't happen at night. And therefore, there's only nighttime activities and the only nighttime activities I know are being wasted. Well, then what are other things that you would like to be doing that you could be doing during those nighttime activities? Maybe it is watching one of your favorite television programs, but instead of just binging nine episodes at one time, perhaps you stop and you write down some stuff that you learned from the episode, or you do a little summary. I used to do this. I used to watch Lost. I used to watch Lost. If you guys remember that show off ABC, fantastic, fantastic, just an absolutely fantastic series. And this airplane crashes on this island and tons of weird shit goes down and there's time traveling and it it, it, get, it got a little out there but I'll tell you what I absolutely love that show and I was living in Singapore having to buy episodes off Amazon in order to watch it and I was drinking way too much and again it was like a nine year show but I just remember starting this when I was living in Singapore um, in order to keep myself from going out to the bars and the clubs at night I would watch the episode and then I'd write a book report on it just to keep me entertained plus it taught me a ton about the show and I'd go off and I'd read blogs and stuff about it but it kept me entertained diving deeper into this show. And then I'd go on these chat boards and I would talk to people about what they thought the show was about versus what I thought the show was about. And, you know, could I have been learning the mysteries and wonders of the universe instead of just, you know, analyzing this TV show called Lost, like I was somehow, you know, putting together a PhD thesis paper on it? Sure, sure. I mean, anyone could judge that as something else I could have been doing. But for me in the moment, it kept me from going to the clubs. It kept me from going to the bars. Find what works for you. 
If you always wanted to play the ukulele, you can buy, buy one of those things on Amazon for like $40 or go to your local pawn shop. Somebody probably sold theirs for drugs and alcohol. Now you can go buy one for 20 bucks. Pick up a harmonica. Um, you know, go watch videos on YouTube on how to paint and go out and get yourself an easel and some paints and take up that and paint yourself the shittiest elephant that anybody's ever seen. But at least you made it with your own hands. Saying that you don't have time for things because they don't happen during the time of day when you're free is you're handcuffing yourself to your old behaviors. I can't do that because of this. Well, then I just hear people who say I can't fighting for a life they've already told me that they're sick and tired of. You can figure anything out if you're willing to figure it out. I can help. Other people can help. But in the end, so much of your recovery journey is done alone where nobody else is paying attention. That's where you need your integrity. Are you doing what is right even when nobody else is watching? And here's the thing. What is right is what is right for you. I could say you should be getting 10,000 steps a day. You should be drinking a gallon of water. You should be going to the gym three days a week. You should be eating healthier food. I can say all that stuff, but that's what works for me. What works for you is going to be different. It could be very similar, but it's going to also have its differences. One of my friends always likes to say, well, you got to figure out what works for you. My problem with that statement is that what works for a lot of people is just what they've always done. And if you're just doing the same old shit you've always done, you're going to get a lot of the same results you've always gotten. So when you say you don't have time for meetings, you don't have time for therapy, you don't have time for self-care, those are things you could be doing at night. There is going to be an AA or a refuge or a SMART or some kind of recovery meeting, even if it's just over Zoom. Oh, on your phone. You can find that at night, right? You can figure out a way to have your therapy sessions happening over telehealth and you could do those overnight. Find somebody in the West Coast, if you live on the East Coast, who can do telehealth. It's still office hours for them when it's nighttime for you. And self-care, you know, I mean, something as simple as just, you know, uh, clipping your nails, getting a haircut, taking a shower, taking a bath, doing some air squats. Like there are ways that you can spend your time that don't require you going to the bar or the club or to your dealer's house. There are, if you're willing to actually see them. But when you say, well, there's nothing I can do right now other than be high, then that's all your brain's going to show you is that you're right. There is nothing else for you to do right now. And if all you're doing is sitting on your couch in your underwear, eating bonbons, watching the Simpsons, and you've taken your your preferred vice of choice out of your life, and then you wonder why you're miserable. Well, that's why because you just took away the one thing that you love doing the most. So you've got to fill that vacuum with something. If there was time to use, there's time to recover. There's always time. This is why I, this, this is the, one of my pillars of my coaching. Right? I help people understand what habits are holding them back, figure the root cause for why that habit was created, Figure out the positivity and the negative self-talk because there's always a positive message coming from the negative self-talk. And then figuring out how to create the time in order for them to make the changes that they want in their life. The time is there. It's just a matter of whether you see it or not. Do you feel in the moment that you have the time or do you continuously just tell yourself you don't? You're reallocating time from your old habits to your new healthier routines. Because I really want you to overcome the time excuse, right? Overcome that this is just a waste of time. Because the opposite, you know, or not the opposite, but, you know, where that could lead you to is a wasted life. Day in and day out. I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to do that. Do me a favor. 
go on YouTube and type in TED Talk Instant Gratification Monkey. And I don't remember the guy's name, but it is absolutely my, t- my very favorite of all the TED Talks that I have watched. And this guy talks about how the instant gratification monkey takes over our lives and basically takes us down these paths where we're just, quote unquote, wasting time. And what he says is that it's easy to follow through on a deadline that has been given to you by society. If you've got to pay your water bill on the 12th and and you don't, they cut your water off, you're going to figure out a way to make that water bill. If you've got to be at work at 9 o'clock or you get fired, then you're going to make sure you're at work at 9 o'clock because you don't want to get fired. If you've got an assignment to turn in at work or at school, you're going to do that because you don't want to get fired. You don't want to get in trouble. You've got to pick up your kid at 3.30 from school. You're going to make that happen because you don't want your kids sitting on the curb. The problem we have is when we want to make massive changes in our own lives where there's nobody else pushing a deadline on us but ourselves. Getting a master's degree in psychology, starting up a business, creating a side hustle, picking up a new hobby, going to the gym more frequently, getting uh, 10,000 steps a day. While other people might say, man, it'd be really cool if you would, you know, lose some weight or, you know, uh, have some more money or, you know, feel a little happier in your life. People can say whatever they're going to say. But if it takes a change that we have to make for ourselves, that's where the instant gratification monkey can often just fuck it all up. We're the ones who have to push ourselves. We're the ones who have to make a commitment and reallocate our time from our old habits to our new healthier ones. Is it genuinely about time? Or maybe there's an underlying fear, shame, resistance, resentment, anger. Because a lot of people want to make changes in their life, but something is anchoring them to the old habit. Well, what if I try to go to another addiction recovery center and it's just the same old thing that it's always been? And it's always just going to give me the same old result. It's only going to be the same as it's been if you're doing the same things that you've done. If there is an underlying emotion that is blocking you, this is where my recovery coaching, this is where a therapist, this is where a lot of people who have training in this can step in and help. Because we can shift perspectives and we can step into somebody else's shoes and we can experience our lives more in our body. We can do all of these things. But if there's some undercurrent of a deep, gestalt-related emotion. And gestalt's just like a root cause for why something's in your life, right? At some point, a traumatic moment happened and we kept reliving it. It became trauma. We started attaching other things that happened in our lives to this moment so that it confirmed the bias we had about ourselves that I'm you know, stupid, I'm ugly, I'm a loser, nobody will ever love me. Then all of a sudden we became extremely fearful of meeting new people because what if they think I'm stupid, ugly, a loser, and that nobody ever loves me and everybody always goes away, so why make good friends? Now I feel ashamed because I haven't tried to make good friends and I've let all my friends float away. And then all of a sudden I have resistance to making new friends because of all of these emotions that I have been stacking up since I was four years old. These are... That's just an example of something that would have you know, occurred in my own brain because when we moved away from my family in Oklahoma when I was four, it was like, oh, okay, so that's how it is. You love people and then they just go away. And in this case, it was me going away. And that's how my entire childhood played out. About every year, we moved to a different school system or we moved to a different city. So I would make friends and then I would leave. And so I very much follow that very similar behavioral pattern now. 
I make really good friends and then I just leave. I just stop talking to them. Reason, season, lifetime might be how I justify it in my head. But oftentimes, you know, even in my sobriety, it's like, well, you know, what happens if the way I'm changing no longer works for who they thought I was? Well, then, I mean, I'm going to grow and evolve. I'm going to learn new things. I'm going to apply them. And then I'm going to evaluate how that application affected my life, affected my loved ones, affected my world at large. And I'm going to see if I'm happy and content with those desirable results or if I want to shift something else. And then I'll grow and evolve and learn through more application and evaluation. It's just, I mean, time is going to pass anyways. I'm smacking my hands now. Can you hear that? Time is passing anyway. I might as well make sure I'm doing the best and the most with it. And some days that is just going outside and laying on a lawn chair and getting some sun because I'm tired and I'm just wore out and things are just overwhelming me. Sometimes it's just stopping and saying, you know what? I just need a break. That can be monumental for your recovery too. This toxic productivity where you have to always feel like you're doing something amazing. I want you to shift that and realize sometimes just driving around in the golf cart with the person that you love, looking at the farm animals is exactly where you're supposed to be in that moment. Lock that in. Cherish that moment. Taking your kid up to the front of the kindergarten or the, the school for their first day and being there for that and getting the picture where they're holding a little sign up. like that, that can be the most amazing productivity in your recovery of all time. Going on a bike trail and helping your kid shed the training wheels and, and talking them through the falls and the scrapes and the bruises to help them see that a growth mindset is exactly what is going to help them in their entire life. That if they just push through some of the temporary pain happening now, on the other side of that is a monumental feeling of accomplishment and of pride and of knowing that they can do things that they've never done and that the people around them are supporting them and allowing them to fall down. And it's not a failure. It's just a moment of feedback. This time, don't lean so far left when you're going over the rock and you won't fall off the bike. But it's like, if you don't fall off the bike, you never learn how to really stay on the bike. You need to fall off the bike to ride the bike better. I'm going crazy with the bike reference, but that's because Lindsay and the tribe talks about the bike and she's been doing the bike and I just got done watching the Tour de France. And I'm telling you right now, the best riders are the ones who've taken the hardest falls. So what are some strategies you can use to create your time? Yes, you can be scheduling. Yes, you can be thinking about your time creation rather than management. You can be setting boundaries for yourself and saying, you know what, I really got to get this done for me today. I know you would love to go do that, but I really have to go to this meeting. Right? There is opportunities for you to look at your time and say, am I going to spend the next 30 minutes scrolling through Facebook or am I going to do something different for my sobriety and recovery? Now, if scrolling through Facebook is your opportunity to see what your friends are doing and leave some comments about what's going on in their life, then that is your relationship sphere and that is your emotions and your physical body being in the present moment to write these things and feel into what's experiencing for other people. Use social media for that, not to start arguments with strangers over dumb shit you can't control anyways. If you can't affect it or direct it, then accept it. And sometimes accepting it just means scrolling past it. And overall, throughout this entire show, I just seek for a perspective shift to occur. Embracing recovery as the life-affirming priority that it is, rather than some optional chore 
well, I suppose I could get sober and maybe my life will be better. Look, life's going to be shitty on life's terms sometimes. Just bad shit happens. People die. People get sick. Dogs get out the backyard. Chickens disappear when there's a fox in the hen house. Like, things are just going to happen once in a while. That's not life attacking you. It's just life being life. I mean, back in the day, man, a bunch of horses uh, with, you know, Dudes wearing armor and swords and flames would roll through villages and just strike down the entire village, leaving it in a cinder and just lives destroyed. We don't live in a world like that anymore. Most of the things that happen to us in our lives are can be just blips if we say, okay, that just happened. What am I going to do to heal through this? Or what is a solution? Like this is something that came up the other day that problems aren't the problem. It's how we're coping with this said problem. Something happened. It could be just as easily been like, oh, well, that, that just happened. Oh, well, got to figure that out. Or you'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened. Am I ever going to figure this out? It can be one or the other. Oh, shit, that just happened. I guess I got to fucking figure this out now. Or why, God, why? Why did that light turn red? Things are going to happen. I want you to shift it from everything having to feel like this monumental affirmation that using is your only way through the emotions. See your addiction recovery as the life-affirming priority. There are going to be the good days and there are going to be the bad days. And it's going to take a lot of time for you to get to the other side where every little hiccup that comes down the pike isn't something that tries to convince your mind to convince you to go back to using. This isn't optional. You want to live your best life. You've already passed pre-contemplation where you didn't think there was a problem. You've already stepped into contemplation planning and in many cases, lots of action. You've already decided this is something that you want. So just keep tinkering with it till you find the way that works for you. And if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, then what's been working for you is just what you're comfortable with. And that's why you listen to this show, to hear other shit, to hear other ways. I'm no doubt you listen to other people, you've read other books, you've talked to other people. It becomes this amalgamation, and it can be a period of a paradox of choice. There's so many different things I could be doing. How do I ever know which one to do? Which one do you feel most compelled to try today? Do that one. Because as I coach this family with this daughter going back into rehab, I got a tremendous amount of pushback. And my coaching does not give people advice. I don't give people opinions. I don't tell people what to do. I ask a lot of questions in order for them to decide what they've done and how they could shift it into something new today. Because if I tell them what to do, then that little two-year-old or six-year-old or 12-year-old inside their brain is just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it my way. So just bypass that part of them and just simply ask them a bunch of questions until they come to their own realization that how they've been doing it hasn't been working. Okay, well, what are some other ways that we could try? And I can throw out a little bit here and there, but ultimately it's up to them to choose which one of those is the one that they feel most compelled to go with. We're all seekers in this. It's like we're all the captain of our own boat. We're cruising around the ocean and we're hopping from island to island and island like we're explorers in the you know 1600s. And we get to see what's on the island, 
Let's treat everybody on the island with respect and care and kindness, unlike the conquistadors of the 1600s. Let's actually just show up on the island, check out what's going on, maybe break bread with what's the people who are already living there, learn what we can learn and get back on our boat and go off and explore some more. And at some point, we'll find the island where we feel the most at home, where we feel like this is where we can really create our own amazing life. This idea that things are a waste of time is utter freaking bullshit. Everything can be experienced as an opportunity to grow and evolve and learn. It's what you do with what you've learned and how you take your action and the amount of discipline that you put into it and the amount of flexibility you give yourself as you start to shift the program around to suit your needs and your desires and your wants. But if you show up each and every day tenaciously desiring to be your best self, that when that pillow and you say goodbye in the morning, that you know when you say hello again later on that night that you've done everything in your power to just take an inch forward, a step. Some days will feel like leaps. And other days, you may not feel the movement whatsoever. Did you know that the space shuttle, they've since retired it, but the space shuttle gets like on a pad and it, it rolls itself out to where it gets launched. And I don't remember the exact amount of inches that it moves over the course of an hour, but it was an extremely slow moving platform. It may have been like one mile an hour. It was just so incremental. But over the course of the entire time that it left the hangar to get to the launch pad, even moving that slowly, it did get there. Not every day is going to feel like you're in a Ferrari. Some days you're just going to be on a space shuttle launch pad moving one inch every day. But the important thing is that you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? I had that really cool conversation with my kids today. Or, you know, I sat down in my boss's office and I let them know why I'm struggling with the new software. Or I talked to somebody in my life and just let them know that, you know what, I'm just having a bad go of things right now. And I could really just use, I could really just use an ear, a shoulder, a loving eye to look into that says, you know what, I will listen to you and I won't interrupt you. Sometimes it's seeing a butterfly land on a flower petal, enjoy the succulent nectar and then fly off to the next one or watching the creek flow by the backyard just realizing that, much like time, everything is flowing. It's all flowing forward. We get to choose whether things are a waste of time. And then most importantly, I want you to just make sure that you realize that you can make the choice to stop feeling like you have a wasted life. Everything is happening because it happens. I have long believed that I was put on this planet to go through the journeys that I did to get to where I'm at now. And when I got sober, I thought that that was like the purpose of my soul was to understand the depths of addiction and get sober. I thought, well, there you go. 40 years old. I've already accomplished my soul's mission. And then all these other avenues started opening up and I was like, oh shit, I did. This is just the beginning. That was just the chapter on addiction. Now I've got the chapter on sobriety and recovery. And where's this going to go? 
And now I want to be a therapist. And now I want to write more books. And I want to continue to grow the sobriety tribe. And it's like, it is phenomenal how much more life I had ahead of me than I realized on January 13th, 2017. There is so much more ahead of you that you don't even know. Because much like a car, you only see what the headlights show you. And you only get to see what's further down the road the more that you drive further down the road. See what the headlights show you. Learn new things along the way. And experience your entire journey as this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to shift and change and grow, not only for yourself, but for the world at large and everyone else around you. And if you ever catch yourself saying, man, this is a fucking waste of time, it's in that moment. I want that to be the sentence that triggers you to stop yourself and say, wait, what is it that I'm not seeing right now? Where is the lesson that I could be experiencing from this? Because that family could experience this entire new stint in rehab as a wonderful experience that ultimately could, it could be. It could be the last time she ever has to go into one of these facilities. We don't know. But we know today she's actively participating in the program. Things are going extremely well. The family's home life is starting to mellow itself out. And on the other side of this, who knows? But I would rather future pace a positive, bright, optimistic outcome than be worried about the apocalypse, tornado, earthquake, tsunami, hurricane that may or may not ever even occur. We can prepare for things to feel prepared. But at the end of the day, we don't really know what's going to happen a year from now. But we can take charge of today, knowing that we're growing ourselves into something that can handle anything that comes in the future. I love all of you. If you would like to know more about the From Sobriety to Recovery Wise Mind Empowerment Tribe, uh, I run this entire Voxer group. Uh, we are always supporting each other, you know, through the, the down moments, celebrating the high moments. Just had somebody hit three years yesterday. Uh, got multiple people coming up on uh, day 300 soon. Uh, somebody just hit 160. Like we've got, you know, we've got some people who've been into this journey now for a few years and some that, are, uh, you know, just on those handful of months. But either way, if you're looking for a, a, a group, a tribe that can support you and be there, I've definitely built a pretty amazing one, as well as I've got the online academy where I teach you why your brain uh, did what it did in addiction for so many years, and I'm getting ready to launch 77 Sunrises Sober. So if you've made it this far, an hour and 15 minutes in, I congratulate you. I hope that you took all of this uh, in, and you remembered every moment of it, and you'll never forget a word I said. I told you at the beginning I'd get a little cheerleady. I knew I'd get an hour. I did not think I'd get into an hour and 15, but I just, I hear the language patterns that tell me that things are a waste of time and it breaks my heart because I know in that moment they're missing out on an amazing experience happening right in front of your very eyes. So be on the lookout for wasting time and realize that being on this journey is never a waste. What we were doing before was. Addiction was not benefiting us. That was us wasting our life. We're now stepping into our highest sense of self. I wouldn't see any second of that being a waste of time. All right, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 